0: Welcome, everyone, to Alumni and Entrepreneurship at NCF. I am Ralph Fakrar. And I'm John Kang. And we will be bringing to you down-to-earth, yet inspiring perspectives on entrepreneurship, startups, and scale-ups. In today's episode, we will look at entrepreneurship from the perspective of solving a very real
1: problem that affects all of us students. Uh, So today's guest is Anu Talreja. Did I pronounce that right, Anu? Yes. Okay, great. Hi, Robin. Hi, John. Yes, thank you very much. Uh, A 15 J MBA at INSEAD. Anu is founder of Oxford Caps, which is Asia's first and largest branded and tech-enabled student housing company. Their current community of students include INSEADers, as well as other schools in Singapore, such as NUS and, and ESSEC. In 2019, Oxford Caps raised $8 million in its Series A funding round to fuel expansion into cities in India. So without further ado thank you very much Anu for your time today. First of all can you tell us a little bit about the career journey you took before you arrived to Oxford Caps and just tell us what were some of the key experiences that would serve you as an serve you well as an entrepreneur later on?
2: Hi Rahul, hi John, Uh, thanks for having me. Um, So in terms of my career journey I'm an architect by Training. I um, worked in real estate industry for about ten years before I went to INSEAD. So I was one of the older candidates, I would say, in my promotion. Um, Post INSEAD, I worked with Marriott, the hotel group, managing their Asia Pacific investments and asset management. Um, So I would say, professionally. You know, having a career in real estate and hospitality did give me the technical skills uh, to start Oxford Caps, uh, which is also a heavy real estate and operations play. Uh, But having said that, uh, I think entrepreneurship is much, much beyond technical skills. You can always hire for technical skills, but what you can't hire for is life lessons, which is much more relevant in today's time. Um, And I think that's something I probably. got from my family. I come from a family business background. In fact, I'm the first member of my family who went out and worked for somebody else and, uh, you know, didn't start by owning my own business. Um, So I've seen my parents and my uncles run a family business, different kind of uh, risk, uh, the ups and downs, the very high highs and the very low lows that are there in the business and uh, that it is a 24 by 7 job. You can never switch off completely. Um, So I think some of those things and that you need to just keep going, the perseverance that's required for that. I think some of those things have been uh, well ingrained in my personality, just looking at how the family business has been run over past decades. Um, That I believe, uh, you know, no business school or no job can teach you. Um, That is either a part of your personality um, or you have learned and imbibed it by seeing different role models around you. And I was very fortunate to have those role models in my family itself.
0: That's fascinating, Anu. And I think actually that you're the first architect by training that I meet at NCAT. So, so that's another Oh plus. really? Yeah,
2: oh, I think so. That's interesting. In fact, my class had three of them.
0: Oh wow. That's That's myself. incredible. Only at NCAT, you know, that's, that's the value of diversity.
2: Really.
0: <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So, so Anu, uh, tell us a little about, so, you know, how did you come up with the idea for Oxford Caps and, you know, how did it work out in the, that early stage? You know, how did you actually go about making it a real business? With real properties listed in customers
2: sure um so. The idea actually, um, you know, the inception of the idea happened on the, uh, at the INSEAD campus itself. Um, you would know, uh, you know, I don't know if you lived in Singapore or France before, uh, but I had lived in lived and worked in Singapore for about five years, moved back to India in 2011 and then moved back to Singapore in 2014 uh, for INSEAD. Um, So, as somebody who's worked in real estate and has lived in Singapore for a long time, I, when I moved back as a student in 2014, I faced a lot of challenge to find accommodation because, of course, NCI doesn't have any on-campus accommodation. Uh, There was, um, you know, of course, there was uh, some bit of racial bias. Uh, There was also just, uh, you know, you are essentially competing for a rental housing against working professionals against families and it's not something that is designed or made to serve student needs um and specifically with the NCERT curriculum where you are doing say p1 and p2 in Singapore and then moving another campus for uh, another period and coming back with all those kind of movements that happened with a global program like NCAT, It just made things all the more difficult. Um, So uh, uh, this idea actually first came about when uh, you know, there's this Kellogg real estate competition that every year NC Adams participate for. I didn't eventually, uh, I don't think I eventually participated in the competition, but it was one of the ideas that we had floated as a group. Um, and this was something I had in mind that uh, there are hospitality companies like your Marriott's and Starwood's and, you know, down to. OEO in the budget segment or in US you have, you know, right from uh, motel companies who basically operate uh, and have design standards to build something which should work like a budget hotel or something that should work like a luxury hotel. Whereas student housing in this part of the world had just not matured as a real asset class by then. Um, So that is where the idea was born. It went into hibernation for about two years um, because we all have student loans as you would appreciate and uh, post those two years, I think uh, when I got too bored of the corporate life, it was time to finally do something of my own. Um, That's when Priyanka and I, Priyanka was my co-founder. She also has a decade plus experience in real estate. Uh, We got together brainstorm different ideas. And this seemed to be an idea where uh, the time had come uh, to execute something like this. The education system in Asia was coming of age. Um, There was a lot of interest uh, by Asians, the largest population groups, Chinese and Indians, to study either domestically or within global universities that are within Asia itself. so we thought this was a time when uh, it's time for student housing as an asset class to be matured
0: that's so interesting and and i think it's really inspiring for you know our colleagues that are you know have either entered competitions or have ideas for competitions you know, that's a really good shout out for, you know, it's possible to build a business out of it. So I think that's really, really yes, So it,
2: in, in fact, a better example than me would be my classmate from 15J, Tim. Uh, he lives in Singapore and he has a startup called Waiter. Um, Waiter was an entry into the NCAD Venture Competition and it's a full-fledged business. He has raised two rounds of capital and he's been running it since NCAD days. He didn't go into hibernation, unlike me, for two years post NCAD in fact, He's been running it longer than me. So uh, I think the venture competitions that happen there are uh, really valuable and they uh, programs like the new business ventures, they they give you an opportunity to really think through business problems and what ideas might, uh, you know, evoke your passions.
0: That's really good to know. And, and I definitely think that we should bring him on board here to the podcast as well. Yeah, yeah, so that's absolutely. a great lead generation. Absolutely. Yeah um so anu so you know you started in singapore which is you know obviously a market that you know well and you went to insead and now you know you've you've expanded to indian which is you know obviously a huge market you know very different from the first market in singapore you know how do you approach this you know how you know how do you set up the go-to market strategy and on a personal level you know do you feel overwhelmed at all you know it's such a big country and there's so much regulatory uh, hurdles and barriers, you know, how does it feel personally as well?
2: Um, well, like most NCAA days, I would say as a person, I feel very displaced. I don't know whether India is my real home or Singapore is, um, because I was born, brought up in India uh, and spent good part of my first 30 years of my life in India. Then most of my work Uh, For about 10 years, I lived in Singapore as an adult working and making a living. Uh, So like most NCAAs, I do kind of have that mental element of displacement as to I don't know which is my home country. Uh, Of course, not to the crazy degree that a lot of my classmates and I'm sure your promotion guys also feel. Uh, But having said that, um, I think India was no alien uh, to me. Uh, Even when I was working in Singapore, you know, most people who work in Singapore, they are in regional roles um, because Singapore domestic market itself is kind of a limited market size. Uh, so India, I was always in an Asia Pacific role, and India was in part, as a part of my portfolio, always there. And Trianka had been working in India for a long time, so I wouldn't say that um, Singapore uh, or India was alien to us as geography. Um, but we started in Singapore because. When you're starting a business uh, or when you're running a business, you know everything that could go wrong will go wrong and more, right? So we start, wanted to start at a place where at least from a real estate regulatory perspective, the regulations were kind of sane and more streamlined. So we figure out other parts of the business model. Um, and once those are matured, we can go into a more crazier and um, if I would ill-regulated market like India um because we always had to step out uh, outside of singapore given the market size in singapore so it was always on the radar it was just about when and uh, post uh, our first year of operation we kind of felt very confident in uh, what can be uh, what we had achieved and the scale that we had grown to uh, to be able to expand to India. But having said that, the first year that we expanded to India, we only did it with three properties. We took our time to, you know, kind of understand how these properties stabilize, what are the different kind of issues um, that you face in running properties in India, what is your core value proposition in India versus what it was in Singapore, because your target market is also very, very different. Uh, So we took a year to understand that at a smaller scale in India, post which we, um, you know, last year we kind of expanded much beyond uh, those three properties we have about 60 operational properties in india uh, across nine cities so uh, i think whenever you're going to a new country it uh, it does you can either choose to have zero properties and do a lot of background research which in my opinion is kind of more or less theoretical uh, because unless you operate something you really don't get real life experience so Uh, You can choose to start with a smaller scale, learn and then gradually expand. Uh, But every country is unique. There are good things about India. There are bad things about India. And it's the same thing. uh, It's the same with Singapore. do i feel overwhelmed i think every single second of past three years i've been overwhelmed uh and i would be lying if i said i don't uh because there are situations where which you wouldn't have anticipated there are situations which you a lot of times you don't even have the technical skills or experience to deal with but that's what entrepreneurship is all about it's about embracing the unknowns and uh I think if you are, if you get comfortable with that, uh, you would be fine.
0: I think that's, you know, it's, it's, I really appreciate the honesty in saying that, you know, it's, it's an overwhelming feeling because I'm sure that a lot of people out there who, who, who pretend that it's not the case, but actually, you know, being an entrepreneur is stepping into the unknown and it's not easy. Right. So I think that's, that's really interesting. And Anu, um, you know, when I think about tech-enabled companies in the real estate uh, industry, you know, obviously the big name that I can think of is Oyo Rooms, you know, also based in India. So, um, you know, recently it's had a lot of bad press uh, in their unit economics, their culture, even their treatment of, you know, hotel owners. What are some of the learning lessons that you personally uh, take from their story and, you know, their evolution as a company?
2: um so i i would say yes there is bad press around oyo uh, there could be several reasons for that but um you know putting that aside my personal opinion is that of course ritesh uh, started it at a very young age and he's done a fantastic job scaling a company from zero to where it is today and it was a very innovative core concept uh, that any hotel below 100 rooms in India, they are not standardized and there is there are a whole lot of them, right? So uh, in U.S., as I mentioned initially, they are actually listed companies who essentially manage hotels below, say, $50 or $40 a night uh, kind of stay. Uh, and most of the larger brands also have sub-brands who deal in that category, whereas in India... <clears throat> that category practically didn 't exist as a formal brand, and he tried to attack that category and say that we 'll provide the five basic services. I think as a concept it was very uh, it was very much required um, and he has done a fantastic job in scaling up uh, Having said that, I think there are lessons to be learned for all of us. That's the advantage of not being the first mover in the market um, that you learn from the past mistakes. So they are uh, lessons to be learned, not only from OYO, but uh, WeWork, which we have all seen as a massive uh, playoff in past one year. Uh, That essentially, you know, you are a tech enabled business, you are not a core tech play, you are not uh, a tech play to the extent where you would uh, expect the geometric growth because of technology. you are tech enabled and that uh, technology can help you scale up. But essentially, you are still looking at some kind of linear growth where every time you have to increase your revenue, you have to add a bet uh, to your portfolio, right? And at the base unit economics level, that addition of a bed has to be positive um, for you to be able to justify any sort of valuations. And secondly, uh, you know, I think the biggest lesson there for it, each of us is that we get all of this press whenever you raise a funding round, but raising a funding round or raising external capital or getting a very high valuation is not essentially an achievement. Sometimes high valuations is what kills the company. And we have seen that in case of WeWork. Like if you ask me, WeWork as a product is a beautiful product. They have revolutionized the way a work happens. They have created uh, you know the entire industry out of co-working, but Yes, um, the valuations that were assigned, uh, you know, given to that company. Yes, those valuations didn't make sense from the core business model perspective because you are not a tech business. Um, And that valuation is basically, you know, one of the key reasons for the downfall of WeWork. So I, I think what we as entrepreneurs and even somebody aspiring to be an entrepreneur should realize is that getting higher valuation may at times be the reason for your downfall and it's not something to be celebrated. Eventually what you need to celebrate is if you have a business model that works um, you can get it to self-sustainability level or there's a path to getting to self-sustainability level within a limited time. You cannot just keep on raising capital, burning capital and not get to that sustainability. I think that awakening in the entire ecosystem startup ecosystem uh, was very much required and with WeWork and the current situation, I'm hoping that awakening will come at a widespread scale.
1: Um, yeah, th- um, thanks Anu for for sharing sharing those views. I I really think um, yeah the there it is time for such an awakening. And I mean, just talking from a sustainability a sustainability perspective, um, it, it should be about the core the core business and the the value that it generates as opposed to A very sort of arbitrary valuation. So I just wanted to switch uh, gears and talk a little bit about diversity, Anu. So we all know that we need more female founders and you've shown yourself to be an amazing role model for this. Um, What advice do you have for um, our female colleagues who are listening in and considering the entrepreneurial role?
2: Well, that's a question I always um, find difficult to answer um, because I don't think, um, first, I'm, I'm not experienced enough to advise somebody, but my suggestion to any female founder or aspiring entrepreneur would be pretty much the same as any male entrepreneur is basically, you know, unless you do it, you will not know whether it works or not. Um, You know, I read somewhere that most startups, the number one reason why most startups fail is um, because they never start. And uh, I, I can't put it better than that. You have to take the risk. Uh, you have to um, be prepared to have a lot of ups and downs. Um, your entire life gets thrown into a turmoil. But uh, you know that's that's the pleasure of creating something. And uh, I think to some extent, women specifically. Uh, you know, I don't have kids, but specifically women who do have kids, I think they can probably relate to the whole experience better uh, because a lot of my friends tell me that it's almost like having and raising a baby um, because you love it so much that you can't you know get rid of it but at the same time you know it just throws your entire life balance out of the window Um, so I my only advice would be if you have something that you feel very passionately about yes uh, start it start with a passion but then uh, you know after a certain point put the passion aside and Take a dispassionate view of how you're going to make a business out of it, um, but don't wait for X y z to happen and only then you'll start. Um, I think that would be my single advice to any entrepreneur, be it male or female
1: um, I, I thought yeah I, I thought the your analogy of of you know raising a baby was really beautiful um, but at the same time, yeah, like it is important to Take this dispassionate view and also adopt an action-oriented approach. Um, Definitely agree with that. Um, And we're actually moving on to our last question of um, of our session, and uh, and that is, as a founder and CEO, what goes through your mind uh, when the world goes into a lockdown due to the coronavirus crisis, and and how do you um, how do you quote how do you cope, and what actions do you take, and who do you uh, lean into?
2: Um, so, these times, I, I, I would say they are unprecedented times, not only for me, but for any of us on the surface of this earth. Uh, unless you have seen the World War II and you've experienced the Spanish flu, I don't think any of us have lived to experience something of a similar magnitude that has shaken the entire world. Uh, right? Uh, Over almost 200 countries are now impacted by this. Um, And we're all practically in our homes. And uh, it's quite surreal. Um, I I would say for the first week when the lockdown actually came down, I also underwent a lot of anxiety, uh, because it is kind of surreal. And uh, I I think, uh, as I said earlier, an entrepreneur's most important quality is uh, that you embrace the unknown and you start thinking what good can you make out of this Uh, so but at times like this I think apart from your business you also need to have a little wider perspective which is what I encourage my team to also do so uh, at this point I think there are two major things uh, lines of thoughts that uh, govern my day one is how much we as a company, I as an individual and each of our team member as an individual can contribute and help uh, in mitigating this situation to the best of our abilities. Um, so for example, us, we have kind of worked with the government uh, in different states and uh, offered some of our facilities which are empty uh, to be used as quarantine facilities or for healthcare workers and stuff. Um, so whatever we can contribute, we are, there are a couple of our team members individually and myself included, uh, Priyanka and myself too. Uh, we are volunteering uh, with a group called COVID versus startups in India and um, you know, working on different kind of logistics to arrange healthcare, PPE um, stuff. There are uh, certain skill sets within our team. Our marketing team is working with a group of volunteers uh, with the government to uh, create engaging content uh, for Gen Z, which is basically their target customer also uh, to help build awareness uh, against the fake news on and rumors on COVID. Our projects team is working with different state governments to advise them on how to convert, for example, hotels or hostels into um, medical centers and create infrastructure uh, for medical situations. So I I think beyond business at this point, it is also very important to have some perspective and think of a larger goal um, that's important as a society. Um, As a business, um, you know, in any crisis like this, um, I think I think it's important to, um, in a crisis like this, which is, there's a huge amount of unknowns specifically for our industry. It's almost like a zero- or one situation, we are not an industry where you know my retail store in the mall may open uh, within a month, fifteen days, and then the consumer base will keep growing eventually. Uh, we are a zero one either the colleges open or they don't open when they open, students will come and they will need accommodation right so um, so for us, I think at this point what's important is to conserve costs to the largest extent, um, almost you know. Kind of semi hibernate uh, with whatever running operations you have, conserve conserve, conserve on the cost. And once the college is reopened, you are ready for business. Uh, at the same time, this is an excellent opportunity to work on some of the initiatives that you think were really important for the business, but you never had the time to work through it. So we are working on a lot of tech initiatives, a lot of internal ops pro, uh, operations process optimization that we never in the normal course of day had the time to work on. Um, but this is an excellent opportunity to work and get those things done. So when you come out, you are better prepared, uh, you know, and you are a better run company uh, as opposed to you know just waiting for the market to open.
1: Um, thank you, Anu, for for sharing um, those perspectives that you had. Um, I'm really glad uh, I actually we had, we actually had you on the show because um, I am actually a personal. Uh, believer of you know just entrepreneurship just just should not be like just a profit-seeking venture alone you know the entrepreneur um, has the responsibility to be a good leader and um, it's it's it sounds incredible the things that you are doing in terms of volunteering to to help you know the society in India um, during the during these very difficult times um and uh, it, it was great today to hear about your entrepreneurial journey involving Oxford Caps um, as well. Um, and uh, we are actually running out of time. Um, so I think it's time to um, wrap up. But um, thank you so much again for um, sharing your story. And um, for our listeners out there, uh, stay tuned for more inspiring perspectives on entrepreneurship, startups, and scale-ups through Alumni in Entrepreneurship at NCR see you next time
2: thanks guys and good luck for the rest of your semester
1: thank you thank you